0: Hi, it's Sarah Archer, and you're listening to another episode of the Speaking Club podcast. Let's get ready to rumble! I started this podcast for two reasons because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organizations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hello and welcome to another episode, episode 8 in fact, of the Speaking Club podcast. Thanks so much for coming back to listen to this show. Really appreciate your time and your attention. It's a good one today. We've got Chris Dawes on the show. Now, Chris used to be absolutely paralysed by the fear of public speaking, but he's beaten this fear to become one of the most in-demand motorsports commentators in the UK and Europe. He's also a speaker, a public speaking coach, and he shares some great tips in this episode. Chris is going to talk about how he overcame his fear and how he prepares for stuff. We get a look behind the motorsports, commentating world, and uh, it's all really interesting, insightful stuff. And I know you're going to enjoy it. And that's enough from me. I'm going to hand over to Mr. Chris Dawes. So welcome to the speaking club, Chris Dawes, commentator, speaker and trainer.
1: Good morning, how are you?
0: I'm not too bad, not too bad. I heard you had a bit of a a weekend of it.
1: Oh yes, absolutely. It's always a pleasure to be uh, getting paid talking about my favourite sport, but when you're uh, on the mic from nine in the morning till gone seven in the evening for two days, it sort of takes its toll.
0: (laughs) So Chris, we work in the same space, but I think we've come to it through quite different routes. Tell me about your speaking journey and, and then sort of how you got into commentating from there.
1: Uh, In terms of the commentator, and I still pinch myself, that I'm so lucky to do it, especially where the journey started was, I graduated from university in 2000, did a, a business and IT degree down at Plymouth. And we had to give presentations, probably every other week. From what I can remember, anyway, um, <laughs> such as university, um, but uh, I was absolutely paralysed by fear, hundred uh, percent. You know, it was it was awful to to have to stand up either individual presentations, group presentations, and it really shook me to the core. And I realised that I needed to do something about this, otherwise I wasn't going to get my degree. And so I sort of looked in myself to to work out right what am I thinking? What am I feeling? Why am I thinking these things? And why am I feeling it? And try to put things back into perspective, uh, create some tricks of the mind so that I could actually get up and do these presentations and get the marks that I needed. Um, Fortunately, obviously did okay, because I got my degree and came out of there and went into sales and marketing.
0: Did you just just quickly, did you, did you identify what it was that was Make it. You know what was the why? Did you work out what was causing the issue?
1: There's a whole host of things that we, uh, and I say we because what I found out is that uh, I'm very far from being alone on this. Is that it's a snowball effect of a number of uh, things that make you nervous that that sort of grow. Uh, I I give you some, for instance, because there's a whole load that I work on with people. Is that um, we get nervous. About the fact that we're going to appear nervous. You know, there, there, there's an irony about that. We get nervous that we are going to make mistakes, not realizing that no one actually knows our speech other than us. Yeah. You know, it, there literally is a whole host of things. And the reality is to understand that those nerves. Are literally the same physiological feelings as excitement and we are able to control whether we put a positive or negative spin like these crazy fools that go and do these extreme sports you know the idea of jumping out of a plane scares the bejesus out of me but for the people that do it they've turned that adrenaline that they're feeling into a positive and they live for it I, I, I work with racing drivers who will throw themselves into the first corner uh, over 100 mile an hour with 20 30 of their their blood hungry uh, their blood thirsty competitors around them and they live for that oh, scares okay. the heck out of me to see it it's exciting but it's like think how do those people do it and yet put a microphone in front of them and they'll freeze so we're able to control which way we see it but we don't we'll just leave that as a negative nervous rather than than an excited so that it was it was a variety of things that's just a, a few examples
0: Cool. And so you 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 did the stuff at university. You you passed, and then you went you went into business. You were saying,
1: I did absolutely into sales and marketing. And so I was having to give stand up and give uh, sales presentations in whether it be just in a meeting with uh, with a few people from a prospect, whether it was to our resellers trying to uh, either encourage or train them to sell our software. Whether it was to a large audience at a seminar uh, that uh, of of guests that were there to see a number of presentations and and mine being one of those and you know it would be three figures uh, of people that would be there and so it was I had to go through it all again. In reality, is that I'd kind of got the foundations there where I'd coached myself and convinced myself and tricked my mind on a number of things, but it's now a completely different audience. You know, there's it can be quite daunting when you've got an owner of a business sat there, his time, his or her time is precious, uh, and they're now sat there, and, and you go through a whole different thing, let alone professional buyers, where, of course, they're trained not to interact, not to show emotion. Sounds that like some was of my comedy audiences. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that I can imagine. <laughs> so it was a whole new process from the year 2000, so what's that now, 17 years, given the business side of things.
0: But did you find your, like your circle of comfort grew? Like each time something got bigger or doing something different and then you got comfortable and then, then you were on the edge of it again and then you got comfortable.
1: My honest feeling on it is that never get comfortable. I'm still nervous no matter what I do. Um, it, it, but I live for that nervousness. I live for that adrenaline, that buzz. I'm sure you feel the same when you stand up, uh, in front of an audience is that that adrenaline is, is an, it, it's, it's my drug. <laughs> that's it. You know, that's what I live for. So, and I think the problem is the minute you get too comfortable, I think you'll go the other way and, and not be appreciated because you're too confident. People will almost see, uh, uh, they'll take it as cocky or arrogant. Um, so I think the fact that there's a human side to you will always work so I don't think getting comfortable is the right way of explaining how I feel when I do it anymore but it's under control.
0: Excellent okay cool and so and so from there big pitches big speeches how did you get into the commentating?
1: Uh, It was really a very discreet advert uh, on Facebook I'm pretty certain it was um, by our local circuit Castle Coombe circuit where I grew up watched that's where i fell in love with motor racing from 5 years old when my dad would take me up there and we'd watch the racing and just fell uh, head over heels in love with with the sport and it was a very discreet post on facebook saying such and such commentator who's been there forever has retired we are covered but we're interested to see if anybody locals got what they think they need to become a commentator and i came back and i showed my wife and and said you know look at this how cool is this And she said, well, are you going to go for it? And I'll be brutally honest and say, I actually said, well, I don't know. That's what other people are lucky enough to do, not me. And she said, no, you misunderstand. (laughs) You are going for it. She said, what's worse, going for it and not getting it or not going for it and always wondering what may have been. And she knows I have a rule in life about never have a what if. And so I had no answer for that, really, other than to do it. And, and I had to uh, come up with a topic of my own cho- choose, choice um, and script a 15-minute presentation and then record it and re- burn that audio to a CD-ROM, send it into them with a cover letter, CV, headshot, the lot. Wow. I know it it was the, it was the, and I must have seen it late because I literally, I'm sure it was on the Friday and it had to be in by like the Monday or the Tuesday of the following week. And so I spent the weekend sort of fine tuning it, getting it recorded, getting it in. And I didn't really hear anything for some time. And the businessman in me kicked in and sort of just chased to go, I just want to make sure, have you received that? (laughs) We've got it. it. Sorry. We're just really busy. We will get through them as soon as possible. Okay. Then another period of time went and I just said, uh, Just checking, uh, you know, is anything happening with this? And they said, yeah, we're just finishing off going through them and then we'll be holding interviews for the candidates we feel appropriate. And I then suddenly got an email inviting me in for an interview, which frankly, again, in sales, it's always about the, the steps, enjoy the steps. And I was absolutely elated that I was going into the circuit, into their offices for an interview for this sort of dream scenario. And, uh, and then started wondering, well, it was a discreet ad. Maybe not many people went for it. And I walked into the office with the then owner, sadly he's passed away, um, and the sales and marketing director. And I'm sure they did it deliberately because there was then stacks and stacks of these CDs on the desk just to psych me out, to show that there were plenty of people who had gone for it. Yeah. And went through the interview with them, got to the end, and they said, okay, that's great. Um, you were always going to be given the opportunity, but we needed to make sure it was actually you that was on that CD ROM. Oh, wow. Uh, Otherwise we were giving it to whoever it was that was on the CD ROM. (laughs) And I'd never thought of that. That's, that's really humbling. And, and I was was taken on, on a trainee basis where they turned to me and said, you'll go up into the commentary box with the commentators, watch what they're doing. They'll probably let you call a, a couple of races when they feel you're, you're ready and confident enough to, um, which means you won't get paid this year. To which I sort of went. I'd never clocked that it was even paid, to be honest with you. Yeah, <laughs> I was getting into a, exactly. I was getting into a circuit to watch racing for free in the best seat in the house. How good's this? Yeah. Um, and uh, I went up there. and I still remember the first time that they suddenly turned on my microphone, and it was terrifying to say the least. And fortunately, I then got picked up by more circuits, more championships, more uh, TV things, etc. And five just coming towards the end of my fifth professional year now. And I'll have had two weekends off of it from March to the end of November. So it's just exploded beyond my wildest dreams.
0: You must be doing something right then.
1: I hope so. I think uh the, the majority of it is uh, is probably being reliable, which is surprising how uh, rare that seems to be in this world. So certainly being reliable. And, and my style was that I decided, well, we're, we're sat out there watching racing for the whole day, no matter what the weather. And it's not just about, this isn't horse racing where, and we suddenly call that such and such has got past such and such, et cetera. Yeah. It's like, let's have some fun. Let's make this entertaining. And I have a really good laugh with what I'm doing. And it seems to have worked, uh, gone down very well and sort of, uh, you know, got me connected with uh, with a lot of the spectators and drivers and teams, etc. And uh, it's just an absolute privilege to be able to travel around, Europe and possibly the world coming up soon as well
0: excellent yeah I saw that meant you mentioned how important it was to bring your personality into the commentating to keep it fun while still having that professional element to it was that something that they taught you as part of the training or something you you know you developed yourself and and if so how, how did you do that did you just you know try it out or did you do something special
1: I the, the, the there's several things that spring to mind. I mean, no, you're not really you, you're not really taught. There's there's sort of bare essentials that you have to make sure you're covering, and there's a lot of preparation goes in before every weekend to make sure you're covering the details. And what you then have to do is is become yourself. I always use the analogy of uh, it reminds me of learning to drive is that you, you're, you start off subconsciously incompetent because yes. you don't know what you don't know. And then you become consciously incompetent because you know what you should be doing, but you're not very good at it yet. Then you, what happens is that you become consciously competent, which means, great, I am now a, know exactly what I'm doing uh, and I'm able to now do it. But until you become subconsciously competent, so suddenly... I didn't have to think about what I was doing anymore. I knew what I was doing naturally. Then my personality can start coming out and I became Chris Dawes, the commentator, not just a, another commentator. And my attitude with everything, whether it's commentating when I'm presenting on TV, whether it's in a, in a business meeting when I'm training, any of the above is never wear a mask always be yourself yeah. it's ten percent you know supercharge yourself a little yeah. bit but not being somebody different you know i wasn't trying to be murray walker for example um and so my attitude was that i'm gonna be myself this is how i believe it is if it doesn't work then i'm not meant to be here i'm not going to suddenly go and be somebody else on the microphone and again not only was i lucky to get the opportunity i feel very blessed and lucky that thankfully it seems to to have worked quite well
0: because <laughs> it, it does i mean I, I would imagine it's quite a competitive industry to get into like any sort of performance industries is that is that the case
1: uh, massively i mean it, it's really bad as you can imagine i get asked left right and center especially at circuits when fans come up up to me and and want to speak to me etc which is weird, by the way, you have a whole sort of celeb feel, which is just, I can't get my head around, but they want to come and speak to you. And one of the things that they will almost always ask is, how could I get into commentating? And the problem is, it's not an easy answer. You know, it, it, it was circumstantial that I managed to do it. I was lucky to get through all those people. So it's not very easy to get in. It could be right place, right time. Once you're even in there, it is massively competitive. You know, there's, there's, I do some massively high caliber events, but the whole concept of, of going another level is it, it may never happen. And all, all I can ever, with what I do, is that you just literally keep doing what you're doing, do it to the best of your ability, stay reliable, never let anyone down, and what will be will be. And, and, you know, I can't lose because the fact that I get paid to travel around to UK circuits, European circuits, and as I say, soon some uh, global ones coming up as well to America and Dubai and things like that. You just think, well, I'm lucky already. Whatever else happens is a bonus. Yeah. And actually what I find is that people then quite like that you're not excessively hungry as well, you know, as in outwardly being aggressively hungry. Yeah, yeah. So, but it is massively competitive. Already, I find that I get asked to train young commentators that they've elected to to sort of be shown the ropes, which you have on one breath going, hang on, am I doing myself out of a job here? But the reality is there's so much work going around, though, that, you know, you all become a community anyway.
0: It's really interesting. There's there's a number of things that you've mentioned that I want to sort of follow up on. Just picking up on that last point, because I think that there is there's these mentalities, which is a scarcity mentality or an abundance mentality, and and I think it's a massive thing for speakers actually, because if you you know if you think there's not enough speaking gigs to go around, or you know it can it can really affect the way that you are and the way that you are with other people, and my desperate,
1: you become desperate, don't you? Yeah
0: yeah and that really affects the way you come across and the way you deal with people you know we're in the same space but my belief is we're different we've got plenty of you know there's plenty of people that for you and I to train and but if you get into that sort of scarcity mentality it can affect you know it'll make you know what you what you believe comes true I don't know if that's the same feeling you have
1: massively there's there's no question i mean it's the same as uh, you know when i was as, was purely in a, in a sales role is that when working with some salespeople, that suddenly they're there going like it's the end of the year and i'm this much short of my my target and and suddenly they go out trying desperately trying to close every bit of business and suddenly that even their reliable customers they're not interested in placing business because you've come at them with a desperate tone, with a with an aggressive tone, and 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 it's like and it's the same with that, like you say, the scarcity thing. It's just sit back and and just do what you do. Make sure that you're you are people are aware of you, people can see you, people can hear you, and let them make their decision. Is is my opinion on it?
0: And I think you mentioned something which a lot of people it overlook in terms of how important it is to get booked and rebooked which is how you are to deal with uh for event bookers and conference bookers and in your in your game too reliability consistency you know being professional and being likable are massive you know whatever you do on stage they're massive things which people really care about and will get you booked or not booked i think
1: uh, agreed. That's both on mic and off mic. And in the build up uh, during the, you know, the day or night or whatever it happens to be is that absolutely they, they need to feel comfortable. There's, for example, you know, one of the things that, that, that this has led on to is that I, I host awards nights and things like that now. And that was as a result of being heard. And for it, there's one example that I'm doing for the third consecutive year this year. You know, they've got so much opportunity, but I'm doing it for the third year. And I feel humbled. I feel honored because you know that that means that you've done something right. And, and in fact, I do other bits of work with that organization now as well during the course of the year. And, and it is, it's just be easy to deal with, be professional, be, be reliable. And I think there is, you know, be fun, be, be an outgoing personality that they can, they can click with and, and really enjoy what you do.
0: So in terms of that, uh, personality thing, I mean, we've touched on it before part of it is being authentic, being yourself. I think in comedy, we talk about people having personas and did you kind of immediately sort of get that, like, this is the way I'm going to be, or did you kind of like experiment with it till you sort of hit the sweet spot, if you like?
1: I would imagine that I'm probably still experimenting. I think we all do, don't we? As we go along and, and, you 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 have to gauge where you are if i'm at a race meet for example that is is historic cars historic racing cars then the attitude you go with is a little bit different to when you're with uh, you know more modern machinery where a i mean saying that i still do have a laugh there's still a core to me is that i like to have a good laugh with everybody And so even when I'm at my historic stuff, but it's it's possibly a bit more refined humour. But the commentary itself is a bit more sort of refined, whereas the more modern machinery is there's very much about getting really excited when such and such is making a move up the inside and this is all for the championship. This is coming down to the last (laughs) corner. And they don't necessarily want that level of excitement in in some of the historic meetings, some of them they do, but not all of them and so there's probably still a play around with that um, but there's there's always the core me that yeah. is 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 coming out and and i and I genuinely do think that there was there was not an arrogant attitude, it was a kind of look if if being me isn't going to work, then I can't do this, so why try and put a mask on because? you'll get found out if you're wearing too much of a mask.
0: So there's so there's a bit of a Bertie Wooster crystals at the uh historic events.
1: <laughs> to to some extent, yes, yes, there is. There, there there can be. We we certainly get refined, but still the cheeky chappy makes his way to the to the scene uh, to the to the surface at some point. <laughs>
0: Excellent. Right, you mentioned right, I'm gonna have to pick, go back a little a few steps you said earlier about in being in sales you enjoy every step. I just wanted to come back to that. I took that to mean uh, enjoy the journey as well as the destination. Is that something that you hold as one of your sort of guiding principles?
1: Hugely so, without question. Um, you know, the, the, I was always taught that in in sales, if you live for the final sale then your emotions are going to be up, down, up, down, and it's just not healthy. And you, you probably become desperate unnecessarily, but to enjoy that you've, okay, great, I've got through to the correct person. Oh, great, they've agreed to speak to me. Oh, great, they've agreed to a meeting. Great, they're interested enough for me to put a proposal together, um, et cetera. And then eventually you get this, the, the deal. So to enjoy the whole journey as you go along, to enjoy that you've, you've hit, monthly targets quarterly targets annual targets rather than it just being the end of a year etc I think it's very very important and it's the same for me in everything I do when I get some more you know another voiceover work you know job great when I then get repeat work with them oh wow that's fantastic that's really really encouraging it's repeat work now when I suddenly get an ongoing contract with somebody then you enjoy that to the next level. So I think for everybody is enjoy the experience. I I work in with, uh, there's one that springs to mind at the moment, an owner of a business that is doing more and more speeches um, as an expert in his field. And it's not about suddenly going, right, you are instantly going to become the best speaker in the whole wide world. It's get that little bit better. Then get more comfortable, then enjoy it even more, then get even better, and it all sort of snowballs on and I think if you enjoy every step of it, you're destined for for greater success than going for the ultimate goal
0: yeah, and I think being i mean you run your own business now you're you're you know you're an entrepreneur in a business owner, and I think those lessons really translate well into that arena too, because there is a tendency for people to want things to happen super quick. And if your expectations are there, you're you're really going to be disappointed. It's hard work, but I think celebrating those little wins is really, really good advice. Definitely. Okay, cool. Um, So how do you, do you prepare differently for commentating than you do for like emceeing an award ceremony and how, how do you do it basically?
1: Uh, yes, you'd prepare very differently because uh, although with the commentating, you—you, I mean, the, the amount of preparation work I have to do during the week leading up to a weekend is is massive that people don't probably don't appreciate quite how much we have to do. Understanding everybody that's there, every championship that's there, what the standings are now, what the history was, what the ramifications going forward could be, any politics and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, so that you sound like you know what you're talking about when you're on the microphone. That's the limit of your preparation because thereafter, you have no idea what's going to happen. So you have no idea what you are actually going to be saying once you get there. It happens live in front of you. I always make the point saying that the drivers are writing my script before my very eyes and I've got to be able to read it and bring it to life, which is a fabulous challenge, really hard, really challenging to, to keep flowing. But And I think that's the part that's, that's been learned over the years. Whereas with... Emceeing, or a, uh, you know, a presentation, or anything like that, you largely have, to some extent, possibly to the extreme extent, a script prepared, and you are then a getting yourself comfortable to remember what it is you're going to say, and then how you're going to bring it to life with your personality. So the the preparation is very different. I. And, and it depends how much time you've got as to how much you prepare. Do you have literally a whole script that you try to to memorise, which is not necessarily always the best way to go, or do you literally have a list of points that says, right, this is everything I'm going to cover? I need to remember these details, but I will bring it to life however the the, the evening or day goes when I'm there. So and very very different.
0: Yeah, it sounds like I didn't. You know, you don't actually. I think you're right. Didn't appreciate how much detail went into commentating but i suppose you you don't want to sit there and not you know you've got to be an expert as well as a commentator haven't you effectively
1: or, or at least sound like you are yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think that was summed up with uh, uh one of my best friends joined me in the commentary box at, uh, at brown's hatch a couple of years ago i think it was and he came out and he said how have you managed to make every driver sound as famous as michael schumacher and it's like, well, it's, it's all down to the preparation. It's kind of smoke and mirrors because we've got paperwork everywhere. You know, even in the morning when we get there is that we'll go around the paddock and suddenly make a note that says, right, that car is yellow with the red roof. That one's blue with the white stripe front to back. So that as soon as they come into your site, you're able to go, and that's such and such. And everyone else is going, how the heck do you know that? And it's just, it's just the prep. It's all in the preparation. But yeah. you've got to use that preparation to then make a, a very fluid presentation in the in the commentating you don't know what's going to come out
0: but i think that's the key thing you said there which is true of commentating or emceeing or presenting is it's all in the prep
1: yeah massively
0: Absolutely. yeah cool right,
1: <laughs> I, to the point where i'd actually say there was a, um, an example i forget now a month or so ago where two things really is that i i got asked to go and do a few things for for a business organization and the 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 final thing was almost like a a Ted talk style factual presentation, dare I say almost even a lecture style thing. And it was at the end of their awards night. And so suddenly I'm doing this factual lecture at gone ten o'clock at night after dinner and drinks and everything else. And I would say to people, don't be trying to do a factual lecture at that time of night with that much alcohol consumed. It just was Awful, one of my worst experiences, and I would say is that circumstances made me change what I was going to be talking about, which meant I, I hadn't necessarily revised, you know, memorized everything I was going to say, and so I had instead of cards with bullet points, I had sheets of paper with with pretty much the script there which with me thrown, it really didn't work, which was probably one of those ones that was useful because it, it confirmed everything that I train people about is that I, I did this all wrong due to a change of direction at the 11th hour. And it was just really, very, very, very tough to do. So, uh, you know, I've, I've, I even make the odd mistake myself as well, but I put that down as, that's good. That confirms that the training's correct.
0: Yeah. There's no failure. There's only feedback.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Excellent. Okay, and is there anyone that you've interviewed, you know, in your commentary where you've been really starstruck with, and how and how did that work? Uh,
1: it, very much so. Certainly in the early days, and I tell you what happened. The problem is, you do you clam up, you get starstruck, you can't believe that you're speaking to to such and such, and you know, uh, probably doesn't mean a lot to to a lot of people. But Dario Franchitti, multi Indy five hundred winner and car champion. Um, just this weekend is about the second or third time that I've been with him. Sir Chris Hoy, uh, Brian Johnson of ACDC, Chris Rea. You know, it goes on and on and on. These people that I get to not just interview, but actually mix with, which is very surreal, I have to tell you. And I was starstruck in the early days. And my dad gave me a great piece of advice when he he happened to be with me and watched me sort of become a fanboy whilst <laughs> trying to interview them. And he said, look, understand something. I know you're starstruck by them. But remember, they need you to interview them and give them that airtime as much as you need them to be in front of you. So don't feel that you are inferior. You are just as important. And as soon as I did that, flicked over the switch and treated myself as an equal to them whilst I'm interviewing them, it made a massive difference to the interview you were able to relax and and converse with them rather than <laughs> can i ask you this it was you very much get to actually full on converse with them uh, and it just goes considerably better
0: yeah i think that's that's really true as well as because you're interviewing and you're in you're leading the interview you're in control and it's the same when someone an mc gives you the stage as a presenter they're handing you or as a comic or whatever it is they're handing you control of the stage so it's your show they're a guest in it isn't it I think that's and the audience are also you know you've got to be sort of confident and credible and demonstrate that you feel in control even if you don't feel like it but yeah that makes a big difference I think
1: hugely especially as you know they're there they've got a million and one things they need to do and they but they know they've got to do the media work themselves but they don't want to be the ones that are then the ones that are leading it because they're going all right are we done i'm going then
0: (laughs) i'm off to get a beer Beer exactly (laughs) so um you also teach people public speaking um what would you say makes the difference between an average speaker and a great speaker
1: I think it's 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 probably a lot of little things in reality. Hence, we tend to start on the the nerve side of thing because that will stop you being you. Because the nerves will will just control you; they'll consume you. And so we work on, as I said earlier, a lot of the original part. You know, the the, the first set of nerves that are probably irrelevant nerves and as soon as people appreciate that oh yeah there's no point worrying about that is there there's nothing we can do it doesn't make a difference then suddenly this snowball that was further along the line is suddenly not you know a meter in diameter it's suddenly a quarter of a meter in diameter and, and so then we start working on how to manage the nerves that are there and put them in perspective great so we've now got you relaxed we've now put things into perspective We've t- little tricks like breathing more slowing down all of those bits and pieces that enable you to think quicker than you're speaking, which is important. I can assure you, otherwise you say the wrong things and get in trouble, but uh, which is hard about commentating. I can tell you, cause you do sometimes have to speak quicker than you're thinking and you get in trouble. But uh, once we've uh, got them to that stage, then it's, it's about understanding some, some of the principles of, of presenting or speaking, such as reading an audience, Dealing with interaction or a lack of interaction, how to present a a, a, a script and one of my favourite things is is tell show tell where you don't just garble everything out. You tell them what you're going to show them, then you show them, then you tell them what you have just shown them, so that people are able to take each section piece by piece. And if you think about it, it's, it applies for everything. I mean. I'm sure this is the case that even with, you know, with, with comedy is that you kind of set the scene of the joke that's about to hit him in the face. Then you hit him in the face with the joke and then you potentially give another sort of like quick synopsis of in effect of what's just happened so that you can get a secondary uh, laugh from it as well. So everything is kind of broken into those three things instead of just garbling everything out. So, you know, the, the volume, you know there's so many little bits and pieces that i think bring it together which is why a lot of the work i do is is i know we call it training but i would go as far as to say coaching and mentoring for those that really want it you know i can run a course and it will improve people But to actually have an ongoing dialogue and ongoing coaching is what will really make a significant difference to that person. Everybody is able to do it. And that's why I've set this up As I 100% believe it that um, uh, everybody can. When you consider where I started as being absolutely paralyzed by fear at university and, you know, not necessarily being good at business presentations and, and mastering the nerves and the skills and getting better. Same as commentating, I can hear myself my first year and cringe, it was so bad in my opinion, but got myself to a stage. So everybody can do it, and it is a soft skill that is, is absolutely key to everybody being able to step forward, to open doors to new opportunities, which is what I look at with my commentating. I cannot believe I get paid to talk about my favourite sport, to present on TV and radio, to, to host all sorts of events. Uh, to do voiceover work, it's like going. Well, how did this suddenly happen? Yeah, and it all comes back to the one thing: is that anybody can actually become better at public speaking, presentation skills, communication skills, having a better presence in meetings. You know, it all comes under the same thing. If you you could be the most skillful, knowledgeable person in the world, but if you're locked away on your own, silent in the room, no one will ever know.
0: Yeah. And if, and, and if you're on stage and you're still that person, everyone's going to be falling asleep. So I, I absolutely agree with you. I think everyone can do it. I think everyone could benefit with some tools and tips and techniques to make them better. Um, and then engaging that audience and keeping them, you know, interested yeah. is one of the key things. Absolutely. Yeah. And,
1: and the reality is, is that in all of my training, I am not training, coaching or mentoring people to all end up the same. Because my belief is that, no, 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 you know, you are going to be you, but let's unlock you. Let's get you up there on the stage, on the mic, in the meeting, whatever it happens to be, rather than locking you away. And and that's what I enjoy about watching presentations, watching stand-up comedy, listen to commentators, MCs, hosts, whatever it is. Everybody's different. And so they should be. That's that. The variety is the spice of life but we need to unlock that variety within them. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Everyone's got a unique voice. Although we all often have the same sorts of problems, like that whole fear of being judged, fear of failure, which underlines all of that psychological stuff that we go through when we do, you know, if you're afraid of public speaking. But at the bottom of it, we all have a unique, especially in comedy, unique take on a situation and our own filters. And that's what makes (laughs) us, you know, Makes us funny or, you or know, lack
1: of filters. Yeah, some exactly. <laughs> some people do.
0: Yeah, exactly. yeah, that's where you have to sort of rein people in rather than stop. Sort of, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Okay. So you also do media training, and I feel people being confident in front of a camera is becoming more important than ever. What have you found when you're doing this are some of the biggest pitfalls people have in this area?
1: Uh, it it, it does sort of suddenly create predominantly rabbits in headlights uh, because, and I remember the first time I did some uh, TV work, uh, it was at a circuit, the first bit of TV work that I did, and there's this big TV camera in front of you with this big lens and a big black hole at the front. And the idea of actually looking into that lens is very alien. The first time I did it, I kept looking off to the right at the cameraman Almost look to human nature, you're looking for, you know, confirmation. Yes, that's good. Yes, you're doing okay, that's fine. Yeah. And it's like that looks terrible on the screen as you're suddenly looking away. So the whole idea of, of, of just literally picturing in your mind, there's a whole audience right there. I'm looking through a window at my audience, but you have to create it in your head that you know they are there because it is just a black hole in that lens. The minute you can start getting through that and relaxing and then being you as though they are watching, the better you will be. But the reason why I find it so critical, putting my business head on again, and again, this is where I enjoy mixing my business and my media side, is video marketing is where it's at at the moment. It's king, Mass-
0: absolutely. Yeah.
1: It is. It's the way forward. And yet owners of business or the experts in the business or whatever, they're not necessarily naturally comfortable let alone confident in front of a camera and and allowing things to flow so to actually get people to relax and understand that look the whole idea of this video is we want you to let us have this knowledge that you've got you know naturally if you were in a pub right now sat looking at me you we wouldn't be able to shut you up now just think of it the same way it just happens to be a black lens so all it is is you can't see me through there but tell me the same way as if I was stood directly opposite you, and it's get people to just relax and be, you know, psychologically more comfortable with that 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 lens on the camera.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you, and I, I've noticed particularly just some Facebook Live stuff that really infuriates me when you know, people do that whole start starting the Facebook Live, and then they'll be like looking at their hair or waiting for people to join, and but then what they don't realise is that 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 video people that watching the playback are going to see all that. So they really need to be on it from second one and do a sort of welcome back to the replay, all that good stuff. And just, yeah, you know, like you say, be natural and talk as if you're talking to your friend, I think is, is absolutely great advice. At, it doesn't make me laugh.
1: And picking up on what you said there about being natural, that's a key thing for me, is it's not about being, you know, polished presenter. You know, they're on BBC or whatever, and that's where they have to do it. This is not about being polished presenter. We still want it to be a person, but there are ways that you could damage it very easily. And so just iron those out, be relaxed, and what you do will be very good and very engaging. And that's what we're really trying to aim for.
0: That's brilliant. Thanks, Chris. Right, standard questions. I think I know the answer to this one, but I'll ask, ask it anyway. What's the best thing speaking has done for you? It could be career or personal.
1: Uh, opened up the, the world of motorsport commentating. Definitely. I thought that
0: was going to be an easy one. <laughs> cool. Which
1: in turn has then led on to many other things. So it, it is. It's just been a snowball effect.
0: Excellent. And what's your biggest speaking blooper?
1: Oof. Um, I think in commentating we make bloopers regularly where you get it wrong and you just roll with it and people find it funny I would say the one that still makes me cringe is the one I was talking about earlier with that that business presentation where it was too late people just weren't interested weren't listening and I hadn't had the opportunity to to memorize the script and I was doing it with a four sheets of paper and it just did not work.
0: Excellent cool and, okay, there's a fella called Napoleon Hill. He wrote this book called Think and Grow Rich. And he talks about having like a mastermind group to help you sound out ideas and, and sort of mentors, if you like. If you could choose three mentors, and they can be alive or dead, real or fictional, who would you choose and why?
1: Wow, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, I would probably still say Murray Walker from the commentating side of things, Uh, Richard Branson. Because keeping it real, successful businessman and a very captivating speaker. Uh, For the same way, Barack Obama.
0: Excellent. Yeah, so much better than what we've got now. I always say that there's this statistic, 75%. A speaker is people are supposed to be more scared of speaking than death, and unfortunately, Donald Trump isn't one of those. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like it.
0: But oh, that's brilliant. So uh, um Murray, uh Walker, uh Richard Branson and Barack Obama. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, thank you ever so much for being on the speaking club. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you. Really enjoyed it. Is there anything you want to say? to uh to people about speaking that you haven't covered that you think maybe that one thing they really need to take away
1: uh i think whilst the actual tips themselves could be wide and varied and potentially very personal of what people need most to help them what i would say is make sure you do put massive importance on improving this as a soft skill as they call it because it's a skill that is at the core of every other skill you've got to make sure that that you bring it to the fore so if there's anything you can do to enable yourself to have more confidence more skill at standing up and speaking in front of people that includes meetings not just presentations then i i encourage you hugely to do it because it will open up new doors it will accelerate your your progression in your career and it's so exciting, the things that it could suddenly throw at you to be able to do, to stand up and be taken as as an expert in your field is very exhilarating. So do whatever you can to get better and more confident at it.
0: That's brilliant. I think you're absolutely right there. I think calling it a soft skill is a misnomer, actually. For me, it's a hard skill. It's how you grow your brand, it's how you grow your business, and it's how you grow your authority if you're an expert or an author. So absolutely spot on brilliant and where can people find out more about you chris uh, about you doing your commentating uh, maybe twitter or facebook and also where can they find more about getting help with public speaking if you know if they want to talk to you about it
1: sure the uh the, the my personal website for all the the media work that i do is chris d a w e s d-a-w-e-s comms dot uk. Uh, on Twitter, at Doors Racing, D-A-W-E-S Racing. And on Facebook as well, you can look for Chris Doors commentator. And in terms of the training side of things is opendoorstraining.co.uk. Again, it is the D-A-W-E-S. <laughs> Excellent. uk, which is also at open underscore doors training on twitter it is i think sorry i've forgotten what my no, twitter don't has. worry
0: what What i'll do is i'll link to these in the in the show notes as well so people can can find those brilliant. quite easily brilliant thank you again really appreciate your time it's been really insightful I've learned loads about commentating um and yeah it's been great fun thanks very much chris
1: thanks sarah
0: how cool was that really great tips there from chris and you can find out uh, all the facebook and website contact details from the show notes for chris uh, also his commentating twitter handle as well if you want to follow him on that and that's that's it that's a wrap just as usual to say thank you so much for listening i really hope you found it useful and that you enjoy it and if you do why not subscribe to the show so you don't miss one And on top of that, if you could leave a review, that would be awesome. I really appreciate that. It helps the show um, get found by other people who may be interested in speaking and could use the tips and the tricks to help them move their speaking forward. And next week, we're going to have storytelling part three. Uh, Just to wrap that all up. And it's going to be a good show, I think. So thanks again. Uh, You have a good week. And don't forget to tell your friends about the Speaking Club podcast. Bye-bye. If you want to discover how to create a killer pitch that makes you or your business stand out from the crowd, then you'll want to grab your copy of my book straight to the top. It will help you clarify your USP, your business story, who your target market is and what will make them buy. You'll discover how to get the edge on the competition and position your offer for success. You'll also get proven elevator and investor pitch frameworks to use for maximum impact. To get the book for free plus lots of extra bonuses, you just pay shipping and handling, go to standoutpitch.com today.